It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. I do actually bear with me. I've been fighting sickness on and off for the past couple of weeks, so I don't know how long, how strong my voice will be this morning, but we will push forward. Uh, this morning we'll be looking in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. I do uh, apologize on, on one front. I haven't seen a new Star Wars movie, so I, I can't give a Star Wars reference to you this morning. Uh, but we do our, this morning, I'd like for to us to look at Christ, our Savior. This began in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. He entered Jer- Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there is a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come into this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Father, for your saving power. Father, it is not a power from that we can come that comes from within us. But Father, it is through you alone, Father, of the salvation. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, your word. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that that you call sinners to you, Father. And uh Lord, that is not nothing that we can do to earn that, Father. And Lord, we just pray now to be with us. And uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for your Son and the love that you showed toward us when you sent your Son, Father, into this world. Father, to live among us and to die, Father, and to be raised again and to be seated by you at your right hand. Thank you so much again, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the angels announced to the shepherds a, at the birth of Christ, a Savior uh, was born. It was a greeting of good news and great joy for not only the shepherds, but for all people. There have been plenty of Saviors with a small S in the history of the world, but there has only been one Savior with a capital S. Firefighters have saved uh, lives multiple times by pulling people out of burning buildings. Doctors have saved lives of patients on the operating table. A person may have saved another person, uh, another person by rescuing them from going down a destructive path. All of those things are very noble and uh, they and they should be honored and lauded but the saving those people do 
however great it is, it is only temporary up until a point. And that is, as one day, everyone dies. It may take many years, may, it may be many years down the road, but it will happen. There is only one Savior that saves eternally, and that is Jesus Christ. We must be careful in not losing sight of that. While there may be a time and place for addressing social issues, we must not get wrapped up in them and lose sight of our first priority. Christ is in the saving business, not the social justice business. As one of my seminary researchers once said, some churches want to make the world a better place to go to hell from. But in that manger 2,000 years ago, a day that we will celebrate tomorrow, in that manger 2,000 years ago, history was changed forever. Never in the course of humankind has there been a more significant birth. Not only was a Savior born, but the Savior was born. There was never like Him before, nor like Him since, as God Himself came down to live as a man. In this passage this morning that we just read, we see a man who the world would see as the most unlikely person of all to be saved. He was someone who did not fit into the right mold. He was someone who was short of statures in more ways than one. Just one chapter before, in Luke 18, we read of Jesus giving a parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee at the temple. And what happens, of course, in that is that uh, the Pharisee tries praise within his own self-righteousness. The, uh, the tax collector prays realizing that he is a sinner, and Jesus said it was the tax collector who went away justified and not the Pharisee. It was a scandalous parable. But here, just a chapter later, we see this whole tax collector thing come into a reality in and of itself. He was, uh, this morning, I'd like for us to see that our Savior, He selects, our Savior seeks, and our Savior saves. First of all, the Savior selects. Jesus is making His way toward Jerusalem at this time. He has already raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, and the word has spread throughout the region of this great miracle. Jericho was a common stop along the way to Jerusalem uh, 
uh, because for, for, for the pilgrims going to Jerusalem, to be outside the city at dark would been, have been a very dangerous place. You were very good chance of being uh, robbed uh, during that time, during the night time. So this, this big mass of humanity would come walking through the streets of Jericho. And people, uh, the people of Jericho would line the streets looking for people that they knew, family members or, or maybe friends, that they uh, could see. And so, uh, there is, and so you add to that as much chaos as that must have been. You add to the fact that Jesus himself is coming through. All this word has spread about Lazarus, about what happened. And so you can imagine this, the, the scene of this complete chaos more than likely at this time. It had been even more chaotic than normal. Then we meet Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, whose name, by the way, ironically means pure. He was chief tax collector. He had accumulated wealth by overcharging taxes due to Rome and keep the rest. He would have been one of the most despised people in all of Jericho. He was unwelcome at the temple. He would have been a social outcast to everyone other than those who were like himself. Zacchaeus' curiosity would get the best of him and he would climb up in a tree in order to see Jesus. This act would have been unheard of for a man of Zacchaeus' position. Uh, it would have been very undignified and demeaning for a rich man to go climbing up in a tree. It was evident that he had been prepared to meet the Savior. He might not have known that yet. He would not have been saved yet, but God was preparing his heart. Jesus walks by, he looks up in the tree, and he sees Zacchaeus. Whether it's by divine knowledge he knew his name, or maybe he just heard somebody say who he was. It's uncertain. But uh, that, that's not all that significant, but note what Jesus says to him in verse 5. He says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That was not a question. That was an imperative. That was a command. Jesus tell him he was going to stay with him. It's the only place in the Gospels where we see Jesus inviting himself over to someone, to be someone's guest. And, and Zacchaeus' reaction 
is perhaps the greatest sign that his heart had been being prepared for this exact moment. Such a typical, uh, despicable sinner, such as a tax collector, would have been distressed at the prospect of the visit from the perfect and sinless Son of God. But Zacchaeus' heart, it was prepared. He hurried down, verse 6, so he hurried down and came and received him joyfully. I have every reason to believe that Zacchaeus went up that tree curious and he came down that tree saved. We have, but why Zacchaeus? Surely there was a more deserving person, more deserving people to receive salvation. Ta tax collectors, they had no hope. They were excluded from all religious fellowship, including the temple and the synagogue. And so we don't know why Jesus, he selected Zacchaeus. It is a mystery we will never understand, at least on this side of heaven, why God chooses whom he chooses. Romans 9 Starting in chapter four, uh, excuse me, chapter chapter nine, starting in verse fourteen, Paul addresses this very issue about uh, he about how it might seem unfair for God to choose some people and not to choose others. And so here in this part of Romans, he's talking about Isaac. And Jacob and how he set aside Isaac to receive the promise and, uh, and Esau uh, would not receive that. They became the nations of Israel and Edom. And in verse 14 Paul says this, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You ever notice the difference? That there's not that much difference between Pharaoh and Moses. They both were sinners. Both of them were murderers. God chose Moses instead of Pharaoh. But nurse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Will that is molded, will that is, will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? 
has a potter no right over the clay to make out the, the, make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction or to, to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. <coughs> <coughs> A lot of deep stuff in here, but I will <clears throat> mention this about the clay and the potter. God is the creator. It's his choice. No one else's. Quite frankly, if we look at Zacchaeus and we really think about it, there's no reason for him to accept us either. There's a very simple explanation why we have done nothing to gain our own salvation. It is because we can do nothing to gain our own salvation. Decision is God's and God's alone. We would not come to him on our own. If so, we could leave on our own. As John MacArthur so famously put it, if we could lose our salvation, we would. Zacchaeus, he did walk down a church aisle for prayer, a sinner's prayer. He simply received believing Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully, which is the only way to receive Christ. We don't receive him out of duty, not of high pressure altar calls, not to assembly to get fire insurance, to avoid hell. We are to receive Christ joyfully with humility recognizing is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. We don't receive him because friends do it or because we grew up in church. In verse 7, we see what the reaction to the people is. And when they, they, they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The verb therefore is an imperfect meaning there was a continuous thing that they just kept continually grumbling and grumbling and grumbling about what Jesus had done even despite the fact that Jesus had gone against the grain his entire life they, for some reason they were still surprised by some of the things that he done so even going back to chapter 15 where it starts off with tax collectors. Verse 1 it starts off with tax collectors. And uh, uh, 
and sinners drawing near to Christ. Isn't it amazing how tax collectors had their own sin category? It was always tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors, several places in scriptures. And so you can see how people saw them at this time. So now, they did not, both the religious elite and the people hated the tax collectors. They hated Zacchaeus. They could not see past their own blind pride. They refused to see what possible righteous purpose, uh, purpose Jesus had in visiting a notorious sinner. But as we see, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. Which makes us to the next point. The Savior seeks. Again, apparently grumbling was a common thing to do toward Jesus. We see numerous examples of it. We go back to you know, and uh, and so well, they are draw, you know, uh, so they are drawing them to them, and so uh, Jesus then tells these three parables about how he seeks those who are lost. When he starts out in verse 1, he says, Now the tax collection sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus counters with these three parables. The first is the parable of the lost sheep, where he talks about how he, the shepherd has 100 sheep, one of them gets lost, and he leaves the 99 to go find the other one, instead of leaving them lost and he talks about how that shepherd rejoices in finding that one lost sheep the second is the parable of the lost coin where a woman seeks a lost coin diligently she keeps cleaning her house until she finds that coin the third is is the one that many of us are probably familiar with the parable of the prodigal son when we see the prodigal son, he leaves home. He squanders his inheritance, but he is welcomed back by the father who saw him from a long ways off. What's that tell us? It means the father was looking for him. He was looking for his return. His disciple, Matthew, was a tax collector. At Jesus' calling in, in Matthew chapter 9, we see much of the same thing. Jesus tells Matthew to get up from his tax table and to follow him. Matthew does and takes Jesus to his house for a party with tax collectors and sinners. There we are again. And guess what? The people grumble. So Jesus responds in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 9. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was a friend to sinners, not the self-righteous. That's who he came to seek. Why? 
because tax collectors and sinners, they recognized themselves as such, as sinners. The self-righteous did not see them. They thought they had earned salvation because of works. Jesus had friends in low places long before Garth Brooks ever did. He says the same thing in a parable in Luke chapter 15. He says, in the parable of the lost sheep, he says, Heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents over the self-righteous. Remember this. It was the outcast of society that was drawn to Jesus. It was the self-righteous that was determined to kill him. To clothe yourself with self-righteousness is not a good look on you. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully because he realized he was a sinner and his sins had been forgiven. Over the years, you know, the self-righteous don't seek forgiveness. They seek commendation. Over the years, I've, I've, I've heard more than once, I've heard a response when I've invited someone to church was, I need to get my life straightened out before I come to church. This has always puzzled me. Until I found, it finally, finally dawned on me, maybe the people they know that go to church have an attitude of self-righteousness. Zacchaeus, he responds by giving half his goods to the poor and returning fourfold anything he defrauded anyone of which would have been above and beyond what was required by the law of Moses. It wasn't that act that saved Zacchaeus. He did this act because he was already saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us we are saved by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, not by works so that no man can boast. And finally, the Savior saves. I realize that's an obvious statement. But as I mentioned a, a few weeks ago when I preached on Nahum, we were saved from the wrath of God. That's what we are saved from. That's what our, our Savior does. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are saved. Romans 5, 6-8 tells us, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will, for one will scarcely die for uh, a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God showed His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have had our sins forgiven because Christ has died for them. This is how we can have a relationship with the Father. We are saved because He completely forgives us of our sins. How completely does God forgive 
sinners. We have numerous examples in Scripture. In Psalms 103, verse 12, He removes transgressions as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah 38, 17, He casts sin behind His back. In Isaiah 43, 25, and Jeremiah 30, 31, 34, He remembers sins no more. In Micah 7, 19, He casts sins into the depths of the sea. In Colossians 2, 13 and 14, he nailed a certificate mark paid in full to the cross. He forgives us because he loves us. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. John MacArthur, again in his book, uh, none other says this. He's talking about other gods. It says, Somewhere on the spectrum of apathy to viciousness are all the gods of the world. Not one of them is a savior like Yahweh. Unlike all of them, he is compassionate, merciful, tender hearted, filled with loving kindness, and eager to save people. That is our savior. In, in Luke chapter 1, we read of, right before the birth of Christ, we read about Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah was, of course, John the Baptist's father. And then as Zechariah is holding his newborn son, he gives this prophecy beginning in verse uh, 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn of salvation, that's a uh, salvation of strength or a strong savior, it's just a metaphor. And in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So not only is God the only way of salvation, Christ is the only way of peace. The starting point of salvation is realizing you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That's why Christ came into the world 2,000 years ago to be atoning sacrifice for our sins. He changed the world. Everything from His birth where He was born in a lowly, a king born in a lowly manger to where He would associate with His so-called social outcast His whole time, His whole ministry this 
is why we are celebrating His birth tomorrow. He was a friend of sinners 2,000 years ago. And friend, He's a friend of sinners today. Jesus endured death on a cross. And three days later, He rose again to conquer death where He now sits at the right hand of the Father. There is no salvation in anyone else, including yourself. Acts, uh, excuse me, and, and perhaps you are like Zacchaeus this morning. Perhaps God has been preparing your heart this week in order to meet the Savior this morning and believe in faith. You realize you are a sinner and you cannot receive salvation on your own merit, but only through the faith in Jesus Christ. Have you received Jesus with joy? Have you? If so, I invite you to speak with Josh or one of our elders this morning. Seven word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Father, for our salvation. Father, Lord, that we have absolutely no right to demand, no right to deserve. But Father, but through your love, your mercy, your grace, Father, you have forgiven us. And Father, you sent your Son in order to be that atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, we are humbled. By that, Lord, we just pray that, uh, or I pray that anybody, Father, draw people to you this morning. Father, give them that receiving faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.